following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthlings. This is Captain Smellsogood of the Starship Smelly Prize with my international co-host, Sayonai. And when we're not soaring through the cosmos looking for alien chicks, we're hanging out in the nuttiest head on and off the internet. That is the Jackal Bear. Are we ready to blast off? You are about to enter a new dimension in Listening to uh, His Highness the Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of radio. What the heck happened last night? Hang on to your hats because you're about to go on a heck of a ride through time, space, and the multiverse. How do I reach these keys? Atlanta, Georgia, Greensboro, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Chicago, Tampa, Florida, Miami. How do I reach these gigs? And with all the high-tech gizmos these days? The biggest trick the Jackal ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. I reach these gigs. The Jackal. Where? 
Where did it all come from? Bex, I'm human. I am not a Dalek. I am human. I am not Dalek. I am human. Bex. It wasn't real. It was never real. And now there is a new doctor in the house. Welcome everybody to Inside the Jackal Said. That of course is a scene from Doctor Who. Series 7, that included a once doctor named Matt Smith. Now he will be replaced this year, and we finally know who it's going to be. It's going to be none other than Peter Capaldi. We've uh, been talking about this for a few days on the network here on the Answer to Movie Troll Insanity, and now it's official. Peter Capaldi is the next doctor on Doctor Who. Just a little over two months after Matt Smith announced his departure from the BBC popular science fiction show, Doctor Who, having played the 11th Doctor for nearly four seasons, the BBC has already picked his replacement. During a special half-hour program called Doctor Who Live, the next Doctor, airing on BBC One in the United Kingdom and BBC America in the States, it was announced that the 12th Doctor will be played by Scottish actor Peter Capaldi. The 55-year-old actor is best known for the United Kingdom or in the United Kingdom for playing the foul-mouthed political uh, spinmeister Malcolm Tucker in the comedy series The Thick of It. He, the role uh, he reprised, uh, she says, a role he reprised in Armando Lucini's feature film debut in The Loop. Capaldi also directed the Oscar-winning live-action short Franz Kef, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Franz Kafkifkas. It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, BBC are clearly going in a different route after going younger with Smith, but Capaldi's long career as a regular staple on the network makes him a strong choice. Says your Capaldi's uh, will star as the 12th Doctor on the 8th season of the series, which presumably will air sometime in 2014. Says we have a feeling he'll lose that distinctive beard that's on this picture here. And, uh, you know, I'm excited that, that they finally answered who the next Doctor is going to be. There's no more debating, no more waiting. The fans finally know. But kind of luckluster a little bit, don't you think? You know, I was expecting a little bit bigger of a name. Of course, names like uh, Cumberbatch were out there. There's so many good actors that were available for the part. I haven't really seen enough of uh, Mr. Capaldi here to really judge him one way or the other. I'm just, I'm happy it's over with already. Now we can move on to the special, the 50th anniversary special in November, and then the Christmas special. And uh, for all Doctor Who fans, it should be an exciting time to see that regeneration. Now, 12, 12 Doctors... Uh, th- this is going to be number 12 So there's one Doctor left So me- this means the show could really be over In the next 5 years 4 or 5 se- uh, seasons I mean I don't know how long uh, Peter Capaldi is going to go on this series But if he's anything like the other Doctors uh, The last 3 anyway uh, He won't be on for m- very long I mean Matt Smith was on for 3 seasons Really And uh, 1 year of specials That's really kind of what it was uh, And the same thing for David Tennant And of course uh, Chris- Christopher Eccleston only did one season Which 
which it's a big shame on you know because he was probably the best doctor you know ever up to his point and uh Eccleston was great David Tennant was great Matt Smith was amazing he could have been probably the best doctor he really had that charisma to really pull off the doctor uh but unfortunately he's leaving the show early and now we have a whole new doctor on our hands and that's I guess I guess it's a, it's it's exciting for us uh fans of Doctor Who you know everybody who loves Doctor Who understands that the Doctor is all about change and about continuing forward. So, for all the rumors of you know David Ten coming back and uh, maybe Paul McGann coming back, and it's finally answered. It's going to be another guy, different guy, and we're moving forward. Exterminate! 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 No, there'll be none of that. No, no, there'll be none of that. Now, I wonder how they're going to do the the whole regeneration. Thing. I mean, that's going to be interesting. But anyway, uh, that's uh, the intro of the show. We have a great show for you guys tonight. We have Mr. Robert Morningstar, who's going to be on the show tonight. I'm going to have actually get him on at 11.30. Now, we are running about an hour late. I've been having all kinds of crazy technical issues tonight, and I want to apologize to anybody who was trying to listen in and was getting nothing but this. Dead air. For about an hour. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, Dead air sucks on live radio. I understand that. And uh, again, apologies to all. But uh, Robert Morningstar will be with us within the next uh, 15 minutes here, and we're going to go a full hour with uh, hour with Robert Morningstar. And I love having him on. He hasn't been on here in a long time. Great guy. I was supposed to have him on a couple weeks ago uh, due to some, uh, of course, health issues that I've been dealing with with my mother. I wasn't able to go on the show because, uh, well, you know, we had to go to the hospital. So, uh, you know, terrible stuff uh, has been happening in the, in the personal world of the Jackal. But uh, he's a great guy, and he's, uh, you know, willing to uh, come back on tonight and, and be a part of the show. And I'm just uh, I'm very happy to have him on here. Uh, so, guys, if you want to call in, the number is 786-245-8127. As uh, soon as Robert is on, or if you want to call in before then, uh, we're going to be on here for the next 15 minutes talking a little bit of news. Got a few more things to touch on uh, really quickly here. And uh, this is for anybody who's a big Elvis fan. I don't know about you guys, but I, I grew up kind of an Elvis. I grew up an Elvis fan myself. Uh, it says here, this is uh, right out of the Elvis estate, by the way. It says, uh, it was 1973 and Elvis Presley's comeback was in fifth gear. After years of uh, making mediocre movies, he had returned to the touring and performing in Las Vegas in January of that year. He staged the Aloha from Hawaii concert live via satellite, viewed by billions of people worldwide. But due to the contractual obligation, he also needed to create new material. He and manager uh, Colonel Tom Parker decided that Presley's beloved Memphis was the uh, place to do it. Uh, the results were two recording sessions in, uh, at Stax Records, the influential studio where Otis Redding, Isaac Hayes, Sam and David, and others uh, created the Memphis Soul Sound in the 1960s and early 70s. Presley's session in July of December 1973 pronounced or produced country, R&B, and pop songs that were released in three separate albums. Forty years after Presley's Stax Sessions, RCA Legacy is releasing the three-CD box set. Elvis at Stax Deluxe Edition on Tuesday coming up. It's the first time uh, Presley songs uh, that were recorded at Stax are together in the same release, uh, which also includes outtakes and uh, rare photos. The, this is a really cool box set for any any Elvis Presley fan out there. So uh, check out that box set coming up on Tuesday. Elvis Presley live recordings from a long time ago compilation album of Elvis is hitting the stores so many years later and it still makes news whenever Elvis Presley you know 
has anything comes out, any material of his that ever comes out, it's still, it's still exciting news. He's still the king, even though there's been other kings ever since. But Elvis is still, you know, there's some there's some mystique about Elvis. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's always had this uh, real connection with the fans. The fans really always seem to love Elvis Presley, and that's something that's never going to change, ever. Now, this was recorded back in 1973 in December. It says here, Presley uh, recorded the first song, That's All Right, at Sun Studios in 1954. Uh, Fifteen years later, after making uh, movies, he started from performing stage. He cut a series of hit singles, of course, Memphis, America Studios, marketing uh, the start of his comeback. Those uh, hits included In the Ghetto and, and Suspicious Minds. Presley returned to uh, touring in 1972, a year that also saw the release of the Golden Globe award-winning documentary Elvis on Tour. According to the author Robert Gordon, Presley and Parker wanted to build on the success in 1973 to try to reestablish Presley. I don't know if he needed to be reestablished, but Parker cut a deal with the uh, record company RCA selling Presley's rights to his existing song catalog for about $5.4 million pocket change in today's market, but part of the deal required that Presley deliver new material according to Gordon's notes in the box set. With American uh, Sound Studios closed, Presley returned returned to Stax. The session on July 20 to the 23rd produced Raised on Rock, I've Got a Thing About You, Baby, and For Old Time's Sakes. But the last night while recording the, uh, but on the last night while recording Girl of Mine, Presley noted a change in sound from the previous night. He discovered that his personal microphone had been stolen, considering virtual, uh, uh, considered a uh, virtual crime in the music industry. Um, yeah, because it changed his sound. The theft was a disappointing one to the to a disappointing end to a good session. Writes Gordon, who also authorized the book. It came from Memphis. And uh, the Elvis Tennessee treasure, or the Elvis treasure. Uh, Presley came back to the stacks on December uh, 10 for the week long se- uh, session. By the, uh, this time, his divorce with Priscilla Presley had been finalized. The session included the energetic I Got a Feeling in My Body, and that was written by Dennis Lindy, who also had penned Suspicious Mind. So, again, for all Elvis Presley fans, if you want to get your hands on that box set, it's going to be on next Tuesday. Check out your local Best Buy and record stores out there for that. Amazing box set. Again, I'm a big Elvis fan, so I'm going to probably get, check that out. Yes, I still buy CDs. I know for all my friends who like downloading everything, I will probably, probably, uh, it's a good chance I'll be purchasing that. It's a good chance of it. Now, Guillermo del Toro's sci fi epic Pacific Rim took in about $45 million at this Chinese box office this past weekend, scoring Warner Brothers its biggest ever box office opening in that territory. Now, this is the rap reports of the stronger debut than The Dark Knight Rises, 32 million opening in China last year, brings Pacific Rim's international total to a healthy $200 million. International success remains crucial for the film, considering uh, its weak box office performance in the U.S. at only $93 million domestically. After four weeks, it's still unclear if the film will even break even, considering it's had about a $200, $200 million approximate production budget and additional marketing spend. So they spent probably about $240, $250 million with you know marketing and everything. The movie needs to bring in about $500 million for it to break even. So far, it's a long ways away, man. But Pacific Rim will open in Spain, Japan, Brazil uh, later this week in its final three markets. Uh, fans should uh, keep their fingers crossed that its uh, international performance is strong enough to justify a sequel if they indeed want to see a sequel. So if you guys want to see a sequel, I suggest you start going out there and uh, buying many tickets of Pacific Rim. 
Yeah, go watch it over and over again. That's the only way you're going to get a sequel. I'm surprised that movie really bombed. I mean, it, it looked really epic. Guillermo del Toro is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, working director today. So I'm really shocked that movie did as poorly as it did. Shocked that it was poorly received, too. I mean, uh, I, I expected that movie to do a whole lot better. So as soon as uh, I saw the box office return, uh, it was very, very disappointing. But again, uh, Pacific Rim, if you want to see another one, if you want to see a sequel, I suggest you take your happy ass over to the theater and start watching it. Over and over again. Now, moving on to Space News Talking Robot Astronaut Blast into Space. The first talking humanoid robot, uh, Kirobo, took off from uh, Japan's uh, Tanagishima Space Center. And uh, early on Sunday morning, Japanese rocket H1 or IIB transfer vehicle took off at 4.46 a.m. local time on Sunday. And I uh, was heading for the International Space Station with uh, close to five and a half tons of supplies and equipment. Uh, it says here, Kirobo was the was on board in uh, of the unmanned space cargo transporter and is expected to reach the ISS on August 9th. Interesting look, though, to this uh, little robot. Kind of looks like a gray alien. Big, black eyes, large head. I don't know if anybody's made that you know that connection yet, but has a very alien look to him. It really does. Now. I got this piece of news from ArtBelt.com, the website. And I just wanted to uh, say before I go on break here in a few minutes that the best news that that you could possibly think of in the world of paranormal radio has just happened. One of the best things that, you know, one of the things that I think all fans of paranormal radio have been wanting for a long time, the king is returning. And I'm not talking about Elvis Presley here. I'm talking about the king of late night paranormal radio. Art Bell is returning to radio and you can go to artbell.com right now and check out all the beautiful news. And the show is going to be called Art Bell Dark Matter. Now, if you want to check out Art Bell Dark Matter, you're going to have to check it out on Sirius XM because it seems that he's done with the AM format. Of course, Art Bell is the creator of Coast to Coast AM, which was the pioneer program that dealt with ufology, paranormal, and all things spooky. You know, everything I do on this show, I do it because... Art Bell kind of uh, put that fire in me. You know, I loved this show growing up for many, many years. I listened. Uh, he he was one of the main inspirations that I had to get into radio. Him, Phil Hendry, George Rodriguez, and, of course, the legendary and late Neil Rogers uh, all really played an important role in getting me to do this uh, stuff here every night or every Sunday night with you guys. Art Bell does it on a nightly basis, though. He did it on a nightly basis, and he was the best ever when it came to this format. And uh, just to have him return is a real blessing for anybody out here uh, who loves this kind of format, who's never heard Art Bell. Well, you're in for a treat. Of course, you're going to have to get Sirius XM. But again, they're having some uh, great promotional specials uh, coming up in the next couple months due to Art Bell going over there. So if you go to ArtBell.com, once again, you'll be able to check out all the promotions that they're running. And you'll be able to start listening to the best in the business. Now, we all call ourselves the best. We all want to be the best. We all think we're the best, but there's only one best, and that was Art Bell, and to see him return is really just a pleasure, and I'm excited as all hell. I mean, I don't think I've been this excited about, you know, about a radio show in a very long time, and and I've been doing radio for many years now. It's been since uh, 2008 that I've been doing this radio stuff, and uh, not not in a long time have I been this excited about anybody's return 
to radio. So with that said, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. Of course, I'm sorry again that we're a little bit late, guys, but we're going to get Robert Morningstar on the line here pretty soon, and hopefully we'll have a very smooth segment with Mr. Morningstar. He's a great guest, and uh, he's a great researcher in the world of ufology and a lot of other stuff. UFO Digest is uh, a place where you can catch his his articles. And uh, once again, one of my favorite guests to have on the show. So I'm really, really looking forward to having him on. Guys, stick around. We shall return. Researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to the UFOstore.com or call on a 24 hour, 7 day a week order line at 541 523 2630. The truth is out there, and the UFOstore.com has it. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man.
Man of Steel, and more. SupermanHomePage.com. If you're in the market for a luxury pre-owned vehicle, then stop by Prado Auto Sales located at 7300 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. Prado Auto Sales has been family-owned and operated for two generations, and they've been taking care of South Florida since 1964. They work with every major bank and also have in-house financing available, so everyone is approved. Receive a trip for two to a four-star resort with any vehicle purchase. Prado Auto Sales has over 150 vehicles in stock, so call them today at 888-719-5329. That's 888-719-5329 or online at PradoAutoSales.com. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. By the Glass. By the Glass is a show about beverage culture. Brad Hubbard. What I'm going to do is I'm going to connect the dots on how everything works together. It's really all about how we enjoy things, how we enjoy life, and how beverages play a big part in that. I'm going to bring in people that are going to display their aspect of the culture. I'm going to bring in people that are going to show you different products. We're going to look at places where people go to consume these beverages and how they all interact. Things are built around the actual beverage itself. By the Glass. Thursdays from 6 to 7. Only on SoFlo Radio. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fellow. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Head right here on PSN-Radio.com, of course. Also, the world-famous SoulFloorRadio.com playing us tonight and every night. Here we are on, on Inside the Jackal's Head. With me tonight is Mr. Robert Morningstar, who is a civilian intelligence analyst and psychotherapist in New York City. He is a specialist in voter interpretation analysis, analysis and computer imaging, and associate, of course, editor of uh, the UFO Digest magazine. Welcome back, Mr. Robert Morning Star to Inside the Jackal's Head. It's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. Robert, you know, I, I love, uh, you know, having you on here because I love talking ufology with you. What's the latest uh, that you've been uh, working on? I know that you're a very busy man, so give us a little bit of an update. Since it's been a while since you've been here. It's been about a year since you've last been on the show. Yeah, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble with telephones uh, at the end of last season. I was... Uh, they're doing a lot of radio appearances, and my phones started to fail. And I had five phone failures in a row over a three-month three-month period, you know. And uh, anyway, I've got a good one now, <laughs> so I have no worth <laughs> it. Um, actually, I've been uh, spending a lot of time in lunar research, and as far as ufology is concerned, 
the UFO phenomenon is worldwide. Mm-hmm. It's being recorded uh, regularly because everyone's carrying uh, cell phones and uh, and video cameras. Um, I've been what I've been doing is tracking uh, certain types of UFOs, and there's a particularly interesting uh, white craft that's moving around the country. I We did a, an article on a, um, a UFO in Texas uh, a while back. I think it's called uh, Hazlitt, Hazlitt, Texas. And Roger Marsh did an article, and someone took a photograph of it uh, at night. And it was just, a you know, like a, a strange cloudy image. But I was able to enhance that photograph and bring out details of that craft, which show it to be a white triangular craft with uh, wingtips uh, mm. that wing, wingtip um, rudders and some kind of configuration in the center of the craft. This is a rear view, a, a kind of a rear oblique view, if you imagine. Uh, if you saw something tail on, that would be a rear view. But if it's turned a little, maybe like 40 degrees to the right, so you'd see the right uh, side of the fuselage or and uh, like a slant view of the tail section. It reminds me a lot of the designs of the scramjet that hmm. they were they had on the boards uh, a long time ago, the National Aerospace Plane. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, remember the shape of that? And it had yeah, the, yeah, definitely. The rear-mounted uh, four exhaust mm-hmm. quadrangular uh, housing uh, that would, uh, f- you know, feed the hypersonic uh, stream into the, the scramjet. Well, that craft has been appearing across the country, and uh, people in uh, South Carolina and North Carolina have taken photos of. I wouldn't say it's the identical craft, but it's close enough to me, for me to say it's uh, similar. One of the no, things what, do you, what do you think is happening here, Robert? Do you think this is ET related, or do you think this is uh, NASA or, or government related? I think it's uh, most of it is ET related. As you recall, back in 2010, um, uh, 2008 to 2010, there was a big uh, uh, buzz about the UN initiative, the disclosure mm-hmm. initiative, and it was being pushed uh, by the U.S. Navy and uh, certain people. Uh, the reason, let me just give you some background on this. The U.S. Navy has been trying to tell the people about the uh, UFO phenomenon since time immemorial. They actually have the charter for studying UFOs, and uh, they got that having begun the study of USOs, UFOs, in World War One. So from that time on, and perhaps even before that, um, the United States Navy has been monitoring UFO, USO activity throughout throughout the century. And there's been a f- big fight, um, even into the 60s. The Navy was trying to alert the public to the reality of UFOs, while the Army and the Air Force, which had been split off from one unit, you know, as far as ideology, um, the Army Air Force was part of the U.S. Army, and then 1947, we had the Defense Department formed, and that split off the Army from the Air Force. But internally, the mentality of uh, secrecy and uh, disinformation uh, is still the same in those two 
was still is still the same in those two organizations. While the Navy has kind of been tried to be forthright uh, with the UFO issue, and there was a big uh, internecine war in in the CIA and in the Joint Chiefs of Staff between Navy forces and and Army Air Force uh, interests that wanted to keep it secret, especially after Roswell, which was a, an Army Air Force find. Right. right. So so. The Navy got an opportunity to do, uh, say, full court press in 2008 because, uh, for the first time in at, at that year, for the first time in history, three naval officers were holding the top Defense Department positions. They were okay. um, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Director of National Intelligence and the, the uh, Chief of Central Command, all were Navy officers at that time, and so they gave a wink and a nod to these other this, this initiative to be pressed, to be pushed, and kind of a, get public support. Basically, I was involved in getting public support for that initiative to disclose, and that became the disclosure uh, UN disclosure. Uh, issue. Well, it went uh, it went dead uh, dead in the water, you might say, because of a lot of attacks and debunking uh, attempts by uh, well counter disclosure forces, uh, both the joined in Britain and here, to to try to derail the the disclosure, and so uh, the whole thing went silent until about three weeks ago or two weeks ago. Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, who was also associated with it, uh, with the movement, the disclosure movement, made another uh, announcement that uh, another disclosure uh, effort is underway now. And I will refresh uh, people's memories that an ultimatum was given to the U.S. government back in 2008, and it was that if you don't tell the people about uh, the reality of UFOs, the existence of the extraterrestrial presence, then we're going to make it manifest and we're going to show ourselves before the world. And in the aftermath of that, all the major nations of Europe, what I consider major nations, uh, coughed up their UFO files. Britain released them. Ministry of Defense released them. France released them. Uh... Denmark, Norway, uh, Brazil, South America uh, came on board, and only the United States um, kept hedging. Yeah, remember that even the Russians have admitted yeah. it with uh, Medvedev saying, "Oh yes, you know, any president, any new premier, prime minister, everything gets two briefings and a certain book." So it's kind of obvious and and. Uh, Blatant, a blatant presence for the rest of the world and the general public, but because the U.S. has such vested interest in the deception, they can't come around now and say, "Oh, you know, sorry, folks, you know, been lying to you for 70 years, and uh, we apologize, but we couldn't tell you, and we had to uh, pretend that some of you were crazy, and we had to discredit the rest of you and all you guys." Farmers out there with 30,000 dead head of cattle that were mutilated. Uh, sorry we couldn't tell you, but we're not going to pay for the cattle. 
That's, that's, my, that's my take in a nutshell. That the lie is so vast, so broad, so deep. And the damages, the damages that, that have been done to, to the public, to the economy, to uh, the evolution of science, all of these things are compromised by secrecy, secrecy in government, secrecy in science. Robert, let me stop you right there real quick. It's funny that you say that, and this has always been my argument as, as to why I think disclosure is never going to truly happen. Uh, it, it seems to me that there, there's a more, uh, there's such a huge investment in keeping the cover up and keeping the lie going. Uh, that they really just can't come out and give us full disclosure of any kind. Uh, this is why I've been saying for a long time that what I think we're going to get eventually is they'll say, well, we found a microbe life on one of the moons of, uh, like, Europa or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, or, you know, something like that. That's where yeah. they'll start sort of disclosing little tidbits of information. But I really highly doubt that the government's ever going to come out and say, you know what, aliens are real, Roswell was real, we've been lying to you, uh, you know, sorry. Like, well, I, I think that if any kind of disclosure comes from within the from the public first. You see, right. when the public gets wise enough uh, and starts to accept, uh, well, let's not even talk about UFOs. When the public wakes up and accepts the reality of the facts that have been, you know, we've fought and clawed and uh, against the government secrecy. For example, the JFK assassination. And in the last few years, so much information has come out that the, the conspiracy is plain and obvious to 85, 90% of the general public. And uh, the fact that it was uh, a marriage between uh, the CIA and uh, the mafia as the mechanics and Jack Ruby's uh, prediction to... Um, Chief Justice Warren has come true. He said he wanted to be sent to Washington, Jack Ruby did, so he could right. testify. He said he wasn't safe, he couldn't testify in Texas. And they said no. And he said to Chief, Warren, Chief Justice Warren, Mr. Chief Justice, a whole new kind of government is going to come out of this thing. That's the most telling statement and the most uh, chilling statement that, that I believe he made. And it is obvious, uh, a criminal element joined with the U.S. government to, uh, to rid themselves of a president who was changing geopolitics so radically and so quickly that they believe neither defense departments uh, or militaries or the world economy could handle such rapid change. And uh, they dressed it up in... Uh, you know, they rationalized it as having to get rid of a subversive uh, element, and so they did. It was subversive to their designs. They were subversive. The Kennedys were subversive to the mafia, right. which is not such a bad thing. But it was subversive to the uh, the geopolitics and the plans that had been made, uh, policy that was being made by the CIA. This was the problem in the Kennedy assassination uh, time. Kennedy found out that the CIA was initiating its own foreign policy and implementing it through secret operations, black operations, that he nor anyone else in government had control or oversight of. And um, so he began a, a, a battle against the CIA within the government to stop it 
and he set the FBI against the CIA, and uh, he he made it clear that he was going to demolish it and dismember it. Is the word. So the one of the big issues was Kennedy's desire to reveal the UFO phenomenon to the general public and to work with the Russians in joint space ventures. So and he began to communicate with uh, Premier Khrushchev directly after the missile crisis. Both of them, uh, both of them had uh, had the fright. You know, they were they were mortified when they learned how close we came to nuclear holocaust, and they installed the hotline. So Kennedy was using the hotline to communicate with uh, Khrushchev, and he had some very important exchanges with Khrushchev on November 12th, which is the same date that he had a very important meeting with NASA officials. And uh, one of the things Kennedy wanted, uh, one of the most important thing Kennedy wanted, was to avoid accidental nuclear war. And if you see the two movies, mm -hmm. Fail Safe and Dr. Strangelove, back-to-back, uh, you'll see they're telling the same story. It's identical. They're one just more serious than the other, but they're both deadly serious. This was the prospect that uh, Kennedy was facing. Either a re renegade general, like Jack D. Ripper, General Jack D. Ripper, in, uh, in the, the, uh, the Kubrick movie. Right. And he was that was a caricature of General Curtis LeMay, who actually did try to uh, in, to, to incite uh, a nuclear war during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, with the to DEFCON 4, we're already at DEFCON 3 and Def, moving into DEFCON 4. Curtis LeMay launches two ICBMs out of Vandenberg Air Force Base and shoots them over the Pacific. And Kennedy went ballistic. He said, what is this guy trying to do? Is he, you know, he's freaking out the Russians. We talk about rocket rattling. That was kind of public speaking like Patton and General Walker. They were accused of rocket rattling. Look at Curtis LeMay in the middle of the, of the Cuban Missile Crisis. He launches two ICBMs tests, as he said. But the Russians didn't know that when they took off. So Kennedy had to make him stand down and dress him down and tell them who was the boss. And uh, Curtis LeMay hated the Kennedys from that day forward because he was hell-bent on finishing it off with the Russians. He calculated that we could uh, bomb them into nuclear rubble for 300 years. And when Kennedy had, uh, when they resolved the Cuban Missile Crisis peacefully, Kennedy had a reception to celebrate the peaceful resolution of the crisis. And the messenger was sent to um, Curtis LeMay and General Powers, his, his adjutant, and he, he, he went rabid, and he screamed, we should go in there and kill those SOBs, those two SOBs right now. And that, that appeared in uh, Newsweek uh, in 1994. Quite an interesting... Uh, Anecdote. Robert, how, how close do you think the TV series Dark Skies got it uh, to the Kennedy assassination and what he went through as president? I think Dark Skies is the best TV series uh, ever made on the subject. i, I got to agree with you on that, by the way. You know, let me tell you something. I avoided Dark Skies 
because it was on NBC, and I just can't take, you know, the commercialization <laughs> of all that stuff. Yeah. And for years and years, it was, I saw Dark Side. So finally, about uh, three years ago, I got the whole DVD set, and I was able to just knock off those DVDs, like, in, you know, one after another for like a week or ten days, and to see them, uh, to repeat them and study them, and it was amazing. I think that uh, Bryce Zabel did the best job ever done. Uh, until, let me say, until the year, what, 2002, when Taken was done. Mm. I think Taken, yeah. Spielberg's Taken, and Bryce Zabel's, those two are really excellent quality uh, films. They're telling basically the fundamentals, you know, revealing the fundamentals what is going on but what I admire about Dark Skies was his ability to really capture the spirit of the 1960s yes you know uh, I don't know how old you are but I lived it you know the 1960s were my basically my teen years my teen into college years and uh, it was a wonderful time you know that Camelot period was a wonderful time we had our eyes on the stars and unfortunately, the president that we have today has taken our eyes off the stars and uh, you know, brought us down into the very, very mundane and uninspiring, unaspiring uh, period of time. So um, what Bryce Seibel was able to do in Dark Skies is he captured the spirit of the 1960s. I don't know where he got those cars. Those cars that he put in, he got he got the 1960s right. You know? Yeah, the, the, the look, the cinematography, the, the music, everything, the, man. and the performance. Even, even the accent of the actors, the way they, they spoke, was very very authentic. But their performances were so yeah. genuine; they became uh, they became a presence, you know. And uh, you know, like, as I'm saying, intense for two weeks because I study stuff. I just don't watch it; just watch it because there's always a, a message within the message, you know. And uh, the other one was Taken. I think the depiction in the first three episodes of Taken, the World War II parts and the uh, the Roswell part and the telepathy with the alien, I think that was very, very well depicted. That telepathy with the alien part in Taken um, reminded me of the account that I've read about Forrestal. Secretary of Defense James Forrestal mm-hmm. went out to Roswell and he met the living alien. And there was apparently something that happened mentally, you know, between the alien and and, and um, uh, Forrestal, which really unsettled him and uh, precipitated uh, his uh, his mental illness. Although I have to tell you. Um, Mr. Forrestal did not jump from his bedroom window. That's a whole long old old story. Right. I got. I actually was able to get the Navy Board, uh, um, the Navy Board review. You know the right the, the official review. investigation report. Right. The documentation. It's at Princeton University, and oh wow, back around 2004, I happened to be. I have this this habit of <laughs> just surfing, you know, intuitively, and I come across the um, the uh, U.S. Navy report, and I read the whole thing cover to cover, you know, and 
there are some very interesting things about Mr. Forrestal that they didn't tell you. They hmm. told you a bunch of lies. The story about him tying bed sheets and uh, trying and going and hanging himself out the window of his bedroom is a total fabrication. Mr. For the window was too small for the man to fit. Actually, uh, he went out the galley window. It was a big window in the galley on on the 16th floor where they were holding him, and it just so happened that he went out the window on the eve of his brother coming to pick him up to take him to Florida to, for convalescence. His brother had been um, taking care of him. The government came and said, we want to take care of him. We're going to take him to Bethesda and make him okay. And as he, as he was in Bethesda, he deteriorated, and his brother knew it. So his brother said, I'm coming to pick up my brother, and I'm going to take him home. And on that evening, uh, Forrestal went out the galley window, uh, his, um, his, the cincture of his bedrobe sash was, uh, wrapped around his neck. There's a broken ashtray in his room. Part of the broken glass was on the bed and part of it was under the bed. This is one of those types of, uh, broken, uh, uh, these ashtrays, for those who didn't live in the 1950s when everybody smoked, were ubiquitous and there were these, Stand-up ashtrays were made of steel with handles so you could lift them, but they also had a hollow, a receptacle in which sat a glass, solid glass bowl type of ashtray, which could be lifted to be cleaned. Well, one of those was in Forrestal's room, and the ashtray from that, uh, the, the glass bowl part of that was shattered. Some of it was on his bed, some of it was under his bed, and that thing was overturned. And the orderly who came into the room, who reported finding him missing, was a very unusual man with a very German name, uh, a Navy orderly. And he claimed that he came in and found that Forrestal wasn't there, and he says he sat down in the dark and smoked a cigarette and uh, spent about five minutes there. Then he went to look for him and found the galley window open. And he looked down and he saw the, the body of Forrestal on the, on the ledge of the second floor. So he didn't fall to the street level. He hit a ledge and he was uh, very sadly uh, crushed in the fall. Wow. Now here's, a, here's, a, here's a weird hint. Something's wrong with this story, you know? And I, put, I found one very interesting thing. I think that people who were there really knew what went on. and People who were caught in binds like the government telling you, you've got to say this, you got to say that. They really, they want to leave something, you know? And I think the nurse, a nurse left something for future researchers. And it was that she noted the times when Mr. Forrestal was fed, when the orderly gave him his medication, when he went to bed, when he was checked. And she would record these in uh, military time. A military time goes from zero 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 for hours and minutes right. to twenty four hundred. Right. Right. Then the next day begins, and it's again at midnight at zero 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 zero, on toward one o'clock, where it'll be, you know, zero zero colon three zero is twelve thirty. Correct. Well, a nurse made an entry in one of the cards, and, and she marked the time as twenty four oh five. There's no such thing as 2405 in the military. <laughs> you understand what I mean? 
Yes. In, in. <laughs> Ladies. Oh, yes. Forrestal supposedly left a suicide note, which was a uh, long-handed uh, script uh, quoting uh, passages from Ulysses, and he supposedly wrote that on a brown paper bag. Now, has it ever been confirmed that that was his, his actual handwriting on that note? Yeah, people are dubious. It's not confirmed. Never been confirmed. That, that's one of the, the craziest more stories about, in ufology. If it's okay, you know, Forrestal's one of the, if not the most important, one of the most important people of all in the whole Roswell UFO yeah. and, uh, issue and how it, how it played out. And apparently, Forrestal, remember, Forrest, what I said about the Navy, this just struck me once again. Forrestal wanted to tell the people the truth about the Roswell crash. Forrestal had been Secretary of the Navy during World War II. So here we have it again. The Navy element wants to tell the public the truth. The other uh, secret elements, uh, secret services of the United States, and I don't mean the people who protect the president, I mean the National Security Agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, Army Intelligence, Air Force Intelligence, they all wanted to keep the lid on this, but here we have an instance of another Navy man, uh, Secretary of the Navy, then Sec first Secretary of Defense Forrestal, wants to tell the people the truth, and it, and it, and it can't be can't be told. So he becomes uh, they persecuted him and pro and uh, pursued him, pestered him out of office. Another thing is that Forrestal did did not think that it was a good idea to to acknowledge Israel. And then, as a result, he became the target for Walter Winchell and uh, Drew Pearson, who came on the radio with incredibly vitriolic attacks on Forrestal. And they here's a weirdness. The guy is taken to Bethesda Hospital, where he's supposed to be convalescing from all the stress, yet they would take him up to the 17th floor so he could watch television. And, hear, watch te and you know, television was a very rare thing in those days. Right. But Drew Pearson and Walter Winchell both had television shows where they reported their news and their editorials. They'd bring them upstairs and and they'd put that stuff on. Where, it was like they were. It was almost like they were messing with him hey, psychologically. Hey, you ought to see the carpet in his room. Oh, I can imagine. Oh my God, I looked at it. You know, they had they had photos of the broken ashtray and the carpet and the window and and. Uh, it was like no hospital you've ever seen today. It was uh, sort of like a Persian carpet on the floor with all of these uh, paisley, wild paisley patterns that look like eyes staring at you out of the floor. I said, wow. Mark, if they really wanted to, to drive somebody over the edge, that would be the room to put him in. So, God rest his soul. He was a brave man. Now, Forstel's uh, single known public statement regarding the uh, pressures from, from interest groups uh, in his cabinet position uh, opposing uh, the partition of Palestine. Uh, now, do you think that the Zionist uh, movement might have had anything to do with uh, with him dying? I know that a lot of people attribute the ufology. Yeah, well, a lot of people, he was he was paranoid. He was being followed and tailed and watched. And, uh, you know, I say, oh, he's paranoid. But they're not paranoid if they're really, <laughs> if they're really after you. And they were really after yeah. him. I was going to say he's a he's a very courageous man. He was totally dedicated to his job, 
And then he was smeared. You know, the story is that he committed suicide because he was found out to be gay and all of it. You know, you do know those stories, right? Right. And that drove him, you know, that he was outed out of the closet. And yet, you know, that was, that is, that was such a stigma in those days, especially in office. But there's a contradiction in, in here in that when the United States Navy and when the United States government built the first supercarrier in the fleet, they named it the USS Forrester. USS Forrester, yeah, that's right. You would not name you would not name a greatest ship in your fleet after a disgraced, outed, uh, out of the closet uh, homosexual right. as he was. Especially at that time, yeah. <laughs> right? Didn't you name ships like that after great heroes? Right. People who die in battles, die in wars, or have done something fantastic for the country. Or fictional TV shows like the USS Enterprise. Well, the USS Enterprise, that's a tradition that goes back to the, uh, to the Revolutionary War. That's, uh, there's always been a USS Enterprise, and there's always going to be a USS Enterprise. It's like a spirit. In the U.S. Navy, there's a spirit... That, that never dies. The Enterprise is one of those. They will always build another Enterprise. Oh, so, I completely understand let's hold, that. Let's Trekkies, Kirk. Trekkies always associate that with Star Trek. They, they don't mm. understand history. <laughs> yep. Yep. So now, back to recent times, you know, um, the there's a lot of activity in North and South Carolina, especially in western area of North Carolina. Um... I, re- I had reports that there were a U- there was a UFO battle over North Carolina about four years ago, and that one of the craft were seen to be shot down and went into a forest, and that people tried to find and approach the area, and that they were very very heavy-handedly, uh, you know, turned back, and those who made it there once were warned never to go back there again. Not such a single thing of the, the crash site. I did not receive any reports about the, the shape of the craft or, or details of that. Except just the ring of silence around it. Don't don't come around here. And also, um, several years ago, uh, around 2007, there was supposed to be, uh, there were several reports of uh, a UFO battle over Kelowna Lake in British Columbia. That is really an interesting case of between a battle between sphere-shaped craft and triangular-shaped craft. One of them got blasted and went into the lake in Cologne Lake. Wow! A lot of activity all over the Northwest. There's been a, a lot of like, there's been a lot of activity the last uh, decade. It's, it seems almost like it was picking up for a while there, and it was really uh, a steady pickup of activity over the last uh, I would say four, five, six years. And then all of a sudden, it just dropped off a little bit. Didn't, isn't that true? I don't think it's true. I, I think it just drops off in uh, the media attention. It comes in spurts, you know? That's true, yeah. I, wor- I worked very hard to get the media interested in UFOs uh, the la- during the Larry King interviews, the Stephenville, mm-hmm. and I was su- I succeeded. <laughs> I succeeded by appealing to their mercenary interests. I succeeded by saying, telling them, look, people are interested in UFOs. You know, they're going to watch your program if you have a UFO report. 
because the public wants to know this and it'll be good for your for your bottom line and uh, I think they picked up on that part. The greed part always works with those institutions. And uh, more respect has been shown to UFOs and uh, UFO topics and that whole thing about going through with the clowns, uh, you know what I mean, like the uh, the debunkers who come right. on, and, uh, Magaha, Magahe, Magahe was one of them, Bill Nelson, Bill the Nye. guy, the, the Bill Nye, guy. Nye, Bill Nye, Bill Nye, <laughs> that guy with the tie, Bill Nye, yeah. the guy with the tie, and uh, Shermer, the guy with the perpetual smirk mm. on his face like a wooden yeah. howdy beauty. Well, those guys, I don't miss them. They don't show them anymore. You no, know, they don't they, <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a day uh, during the Stephenville uh, flap, and Angeli, Angel, Angela Joyner was on the show a lot, and uh, Steve Miller, the pilot who saw it, was on Larry King's show, and he, the, he was one over. He was a, a skeptic when he started, and he was a believer when he ended his, his series, like a month, two month interview. And Michael Shermer tried to pitch in, you know, trying to debunk uh, or, you know, use his ridicule and sarcasm against Angela Joyner. And Larry said, shut up, Michael. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, you know, that was really, when he said that, it was just off the cuff. He had had it. He just, Larry had been fed up, and he said, shut up, Michael. Let's hear Larry, let's, let Angela Larry, talk. You know, Larry was a great friend to ufology. He, his show, uh, I miss it, you know, dearly because of the fact that he really was open to the topic, unlike a lot of people in that network. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of other people who treat it with respect. Uh, Bill Hammer yeah. of Fox mm -hmm. News, he, he deals with that in a very respectful manner. And I even saw O'Reilly interview two abductees from Texas, and he was very generous and genteel with them. You know, I have to say, I tell they were these were country folk who had been abducted, you know, from uh, you know the real real Texas, not the city Texas, you know. <laughs> the type of <laughs> the Texans that tell you don't mess with and, Texas and, and, the, and, the, and the rancher type yeah. of person. And uh, I had to say, I I liked O'Reilly how he dealt with it. it was just totally, eh, pardon the expression, it's totally alien to him. But he listened to their story. And he was uh, dignified, he respected them, and he didn't ridicule them. And I thought, boy, you know, you've grown a lot. Although he's kind of, I can't, I hope O'Reilly will stop doing this. I love O'Reilly, but he's kind of like a carnival barker when he sells his products. And I think it's really crass of him to say, hey, folks, Christmas is coming up, and, uh, a perfect gift for Christmas is either Killing Lincoln, Killing Kennedy, or my upcoming book, Killing Jesus. It's going to be get ready now. I think that's the most inane thing to imagine, giving a book for Christmas on Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln, or Killing anybody. You know? That's not so, in the Christmas spirit at all, no. <laughs> uh, I'd rather have sold a hat for Christmas, you know, but it just is it just a contradiction to me. You know, it's funny, uh, you know, it's funny, Robert, speaking of uh, Fox and speaking of uh, Bill O'Reilly, and it seems to me that the right part, the right-wing party has been a little bit more open in the last few years to uh, the whole notion of ufology. Even uh, certain people within the party have come out saying they've had their own experience and they've seen crafts. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Ron Paul is a big proponent of ufology also. It seems like they're more 
in the pro, in, in progressively uh, trying to push the agenda forward than the Democrats, who seem to be very, you know, uh, iffy about it. They, they don't want to touch Absolutely it. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, one of the great uh, moments uh, in ufology, I have to say, in the history of ufology, was the Washington, D.C. National Press Club uh, Conference, or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, National Press Club Conference by Leslie Keene and with an array of generals, air staff, uh, people from Belgium, captains from Ecuador and uh, who had chased UFOs to 57,000 feet in Sukhoi 27s, Callahan, James Callahan, who was assistant FAA director when they investigated the Tokyo Airlines uh, encounter with the gigantic UFO over Alaska. Uh, General Willem de Breuer, who was the deputy chief of air staff for the Belgian Air Force when they chased the Black Triangle all over Belgium in 88, 89, and 90. This was the most amazing array of people uh, ever convened uh, for a press conference. And I was fortunate enough to be there to to hear them each tell their their stories. Um, oh, that was disclosure. You know what I mean? When these people um, appeared in Washington, that was uh, the real beginning of disclosure. That's the public given disclosure to within itself, but again, governmental disclosure, official governmental disclosure is going to be really tough, Robert. It really is. Well, like I said before, uh, it's going to take a totally different philosophy of government for them to be able to own up to the lie. The lie is just... But you know what? Let me tell you something about lies, conspiracies to maintain a lie. The weight, the cost, the cost of maintaining a falsehood grows ever greater as time goes by because to prop up a lie, you have to create five more lies to hold that right. one up. And it costs you, it costs time to invest in people who are going to uh, concoct the fake, uh, you know, the single bullet theory, for right. example, and all the fake science that, that went into that. All of those people had to be paid. And then uh, when it's discredited, another person has to come out with new fake evidence to debunk that or a new documentary showing that Oswald did, could do it with, with uh, one shot in the rifle and uh, five seconds to pull off the other two, like those Australian people did a few mm-hmm. years ago. What a yeah. joke, you know? What a joke. But, you know, you can't fool the people forever. And when the people know... You just can't fool them anymore, and the the weight and the expense of of the the falsehoods will, will come crashing crashing down like dominoes. I completely agree. You know what? I, I always think, Robert, that the most important thing in the world of ufology is the credible people within the government that have come forward with their stories. Uh, you know, people who were workers of the government, you know, Navy people, military people, astronauts have come forward. These are the most credible individuals. Now, there is a big section of ufology, obviously, which is full of hoaxers and full of liars and people who are inventing stuff that we know of. Uh, you know, what do you say about those people that are just in it really for the money and are creating, you know, 
stories just to sell a book or or just sell a DVD or something like that? Well, you know, you all, you have to make your choices. You have to screen them yourself, you know? Right. See uh, where they're coming from. I think that after exposing yourself to for 15 minutes to half an hour uh, for one of these lectures, you can pick up where where they're coming from and, and some listen it, there's another problem in ufology which is uh, kind of thinking that there's only one answer and only one explanation for for the UFO phenomenon and that they own it you know like the Billy Meyer people and the Billy Meyer spokesman things is the only guy that knows <laughs> nobody ever else has ever seen a real UFO. He's the only one that's gotten the download from above. Right. And I don't think it's like that, you know? I think that uh, there are 57 different varieties, like Heinz, uh, Heinz uh, Super. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, really, I, I was, uh, I'm, I'm doing some uh, lateral thinking because... The variety of aliens uh, that are uh, chronicled to be around is is uh, incredible. Oh, 57, yeah. and, you know, it's funny you mentioned Billy Myers because he is, of course, one of the biggest cases within ufology. Uh, his story is uh, pretty iconic. I mean, everybody pretty much knows his story. I believe now, Billy Meyer. I tell you, I believe Billy Meyer. I, I read Billy Meyer, uh, his prophecies uh, back in 76, and everything that he was talking about came true. One of the most, one of the most amazing things in '76 uh was, excuse me, if you about the ozone hole. He described the ozone hole in 1976, three years before it was discovered. Hmm. Was that documented in a book? Where where was he? uh, Wendell Stevens' book, uh, "Visitors from the Pleiades," has an extensive section where the aliens are warning Billy Meyer that you've got to stop using fluoro- fluorides, fluorocarbons and bromides. He said that because these sprays were going into the atmosphere, it describes the whole thing explicitly. And uh, then the, the oil wars that he predicted. Billy Meyer is on the record. That book goes back to 1976. And it was written before it was published, you know. Uh, some of his what photos... I have, what, do you, I have, what do you take of the photos, though? I mean, what's your take on, on some of the, the debunking that's gone on over the last couple of decades with Billy Myers? Uh, the photos, his wife came out, obviously, and said that it was all a big hoax. Uh, the, some of the photos that turned out to be actresses from uh, the Dean Martin show. Uh, I there's remember, a lot of hokey stuff. I remember there. those. You know, here's, I think, a problem. Here's a problem that happens to um, magicians and uh, real experiencers that are into it, you know, they have the power, let's say, for a while, and they know it's ha- they have it, and it really works, and it's really true, and then one day, it's like, mm, it's not here today, but you know, it's really true, so it's okay if I stage it, you know what I mean, that kind of mentality, mm. that because they know they have it, uh, and they know it's true, if it, it's okay to, to stage it, because they know it's true, it's a kind of strange inward thinking, the rationalization that I think people are prone to fall into once they they get into um, a mindset that they have to keep keep producing. 
producing new experiences, produce, and you know, like pro- people who prophesy. You know, it's crazy you mentioned that, but he really had staged a lot of them. I mean, even the dinosaur pictures were from a snapshot from National Geographic magazine. There, there's a lot of different hokey things that came out of uh, the whole Billy Meyer case. Personally, I'm not a big Billy Meyer supporter or believer, but I will say that it is one of the cases that's kind of like stuck around for a very long time. And uh, people, you know, they seem to believe, like yourself, you're a Billy Meyer believer, but people really seem to believe, uh, you know, that, that he was telling, that he's been telling the truth this whole time. Well, let me tell you, let me say this. Um, I have two theories on Billy Meyer, and one of them is that they don't really, people don't like to hear this one. Um, you know about the Nazi UFOs and uh, the Vril and uh, the Vril right. project and how Nubau yep. and how it all disappeared, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had this theory that they disappeared and they hightailed it somewhere, either Antarctica or. Switzerland, which is very mm. close, you know, and that in order to start to operate, they had and they they found it easy, easier to convince people like Billy Meyer that they were people from outer space, you know, given that they had a flying saucer that pops out of the sky and lands on you know in your backyard, that. A person like Meyer would be gullible enough to believe a disinformation uh, pro- project that was to cover up the continuation of Nazi UFO research somewhere on this planet and uh, to put this guise of it, of Pleiadians uh, contacting um, this you know, one-armed photographer in Switzerland. The interesting thing that I find about a lot of the 1950s UFO encounters uh, that people had with these spacemen is that they very often reported that although they spoke English, but they spoke English with German accents. Well, that's very interesting in itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think that, so I think that it, it would be a, 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 a rational cover story for, you know, the the master race guys that survived right. and we took off and they're starting to buzz the world with the UFOs. They're like, no, we're Nazis. Yeah, we survived, you know. So they can't tell people that. So, oh, no, we come from another planet. We're from the Pleiades, and we want to help you people, you know. So We just have to look exactly like you guys. You know, that's all. <laughs> hey, can I go, can I jump, a, jump ship to another ship for a moment and talk to sure, John, sure. John F. Kennedy? Yeah, and James Kennedy and UFOs. Um, again, Navy guy. And if you follow the Roswell uh, lore and read uh, the documentation, you know, for Project Sign, Project Grudge, and some of those other documents, uh, the White Hot Report, Twinning, you know, General mm-hmm. Twining yep. was the chief Air, chief of staff of the United States Air Force and. And uh, as well as uh, head of the technology division, he was charged with investigating the Roswell crash. So there's this document called the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit Report, IPU. And this is supposedly the report that was uh, written up after the field uh, team got there, picked up the pieces, got the bodies, took them in the tent, had the autopsy done, 
reported that uh, MPs went mad, that uh, doctors who operated on the corpses uh, and nurses got diseases, viruses that we couldn't understand. Uh, MPs, uh, some MPs committed suicide. On and on, the list goes on. Describes the craft, describes the damage, things they found. Describes uh, the disturbing find of a uh, compartment with uh, human body parts in it. That was dreadful. They had to put the lid on that one. But as you go down the line, I think when you get to about point eleven or point fourteen, it says. And this is a report by the G2 Army Intelligence that said we have mm-hmm. discovered that that Congressman John F. Kennedy, Democrat of Massachusetts, has uh, received has knowledge of these events, having been briefed by a, a member of the staff of the Secretary of the Air Force uh, on a flight from Washington to Boston, and and he mentions his father, and his father is a big wig in the reorganization of the United States government that was going on at that time. So Joseph Kennedy was a big player in the retooling of the War Department into the Defense Department and had very, very high-level connections. And uh, this brings me back to the uh, the quantum jump I did about um, the Washington Conference because Kennedy received the briefing from a staffer of the Secretary of the Air Force, right? So I said to myself, well, who was the Secretary of the Air Force in 1947? So I go in our research, oh, it was Stuart Symington. Lo and behold, not only did I jump to Washington, and that's, I was very honored to meet Governor Stuart Symington's, uh, uh, Stuart Symington's uh, nephew, Governor Symington. Governor Symington of uh, Arizona, who was there during the Phoenix overflight. Right, Phoenix, yeah. And I was able to just, you know, uh, grab him by the lapel and tell him what I thought and say, look, you know, you pissed off a lot of people with that, but I understand you <laughs> calm them down, you know? Yeah, he did. So <laughs> he, took, he, he, he accepted that uh, graciously, and then he opened up and he started talking, and he said to me, Robert, if you took the New York Times, you know how big a New York Times is, two pages, when it's fully open? He said, if you took the New York Times and opened it fully and put it over your head, that's, it was bigger than that. And it was flying over him. He, this is the, he's told us wow. one thing in that, in the second James Fox movie, but never expressed it in these terms as he expressed it to me face to face. He said, if you took the New York Times and held both pages open, at arm's length, over your head, it was bigger than that. Wow, that's, that's huge. And it was not flares. He said, this thing was moving. I saw it coming. It flew right over me. But that statement by Governor Symington is not aired. You know, all they talk about is the goofing with right. the alien coming in. And, Fake uh, alien coming in. <laughs> and ridiculing it. But you know what? I have to respect him because uh, that was a very, very... People are... Prone to panic, you know, the, the fear of the unknown uh, stirs people to do two things, a dreadful fear or an incredible curiosity. I'm one of the people that has curiosity tempered with caution. You know? <laughs> I, don't go for, I don't go rushing up to UFOs to touch them. 
And I, I, so I, you, you know the Travis I, I, Walton type will get out of the truck and run out to it. <laughs> if a UFO lands near you, do not go near it. It is a very dangerous thing. You understand, let's say this thing goes, does 10,000 miles an hour. Right? It comes out of space, zips through the atmosphere, cuts it like, like hot knife through butter and lands. And remember the space shuttle? Yeah. When that thing landed... Remember that no one could approach the space shuttle for over an hour because right, yeah. of toxic fumes around it would poison you, radiation from the tiles would cook you. Right. Very yeah. dangerous. I tell people, don't approach UFOs. They are dangerous. You know, uh, I wish somebody would have gotten that to Travis Walton's head before he jumped out of that truck many years yeah, ago. Yeah, well, that's one good example. <laughs> you know, he got blasted. I yeah. love Travis Walton. Um, See, his, his story is one of, the, and Robert, you know, his story is one of the few that I believe a hundred percent in ufology. Like, I really think uh, that he went through what he says he went through. Like, there's no line I think with Travis. Yeah, you know, I'm a great collector of old videos. I mean, I had videos for ages, and I would always tape, tape, and tape. And I have tapes of Travis Walton uh, and his brother, his uh, brother, it's like his brother, Mike Rogers, right? You know, right. That, uh, yeah. That's how right they are. They are brothers. And this this uh, friendship and this uh, uh, love, brotherly love between these two fellows is uh, fantastic. And I have tapes of them right after the event happened on TV telling the story. I have tapes of them 10 years later. I have tapes of them <laughs> at the age of 40. I have tapes of them now. These guys are so consistent. And the story is, is, is so... Um, so tight, you know. It's mm. wholesome. It's true. They were they were charged with murder and right. uh, to face uh, lie detectors and and uh, Travis showed up. Thank God to save their necks. But that's that's reality. You know, the Travis Walton movie is a very very well done movie. It's uh, it, it is it is, it, it is except for the the actual alien scenes. I wish they would have really stuck more to what really happened to Travis. I think, you know, what happened to Travis in reality, what he wrote in the book, I think would have been more exciting to see on the, on the big screen. I don't know why they made that change. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't know why Hollywood does that. As long as we're talking about movies and uh, experiencers, one of my favorite movies is Communion. Oh, a great movie. The soundtrack is, yeah. is wonderful. The Eric Clapton uh, soundtrack. Mm -hmm. is, uh, Fantastic is film. But I thought his performance as, a, as an abductee uh, was was excellent, and uh, especially that hypnosis scene. It struck me very deeply because I've had my own experiences over over the many decades, and uh, you know you don't remember them all. There's something that happens. Uh, screen memories are are put over you, and uh, that make it difficult to recall. But I found that watching communion and his scene there. When he's uh, put into hypnosis and he's remembering right. encounter in the bedroom, hey, is someone there? Somebody there? That scene was mm -hmm. triggering. It was tripping something in me. Like it was hitting a chord. I, hey, you know, this looks awfully familiar to me. And it was, uh, well, many, uh, several years, many years later, that I was able to recall one of my own, uh, you know, experiences, hidden experiences. That uh, made me realize, wow, you know, that wasn't that was an encounter with 
with one of those little guys. And, you know, uh, an, an amazing movie, but what an odd choice to portray Whitley Strieber with uh, Christopher Walken. Yeah, I thought odd it choice. was. I thought it was unusual, but uh, <laughs> his performance was was quite good, as was uh, the lady who played his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing was well done. You know, they could have used uh, you know ten million more dollars more to do effects, but with what they had, I think they did a brilliant, uh, a brilliant film. On the the mental, more the mental aspects, the psychological aspects of abduction and reconciliation that must come. You know, either you're going to be conflicted about your experience all of your life, or you come to some resolution. You have to integrate it uh, and make something positive out of it. It's not pleasant. I know, I know too many abductees and uh, who are revisited, and uh, it's. Very terrifying. I had a friend call me on June 28th in in hysterics, a young lady who lives in the Midwest. She was first abducted at the age of seven along with her grandparents. They were driving in a car, and she looked out the window, and she saw a UFO in the sky. It came and tailed the car and came up on them, and the car died, and then she didn't remember. She remembered. Actually, this is the thing about her. She is never, uh, they never are able to impose amnesia on this on this lady. Hmm. So she actually had a memory of what happened to her. Yes, yeah, she came back. Because most abductees, they don't remember anything, right? And But the, the grandparents, they were in a trance. And when she tried to bring up the subject... They they just hushed her up. Don't talk about anything. Don't talk about anything. And um, but they have been regular visitors to her in her life uh, throughout her life, and she's gotten quite comfortable with some of them. She, but this one uh, event recently was very terrifying, and uh, she doesn't mind if I share it publicly. I won't give her name. But I received a very, very distressed call from her uh, saying that she just, she said, they came again. And and I feel horrible. I I was sitting at my computer and I I went out for hours. And when I woke up, there's all this brown stuff all over the keyboard and all over me. And I feel disgusting. And she was really, really distraught. And I wasn't able to speak to her for a couple of days, but... Over the next couple of days, she was able to you know, pull herself together. One of the most interesting experiences that she related to me was a couple of years ago in that she has had these regular visitations from the Greys and others. There's another group of little guys that are not Grey. They're more orange, strangely mm-hmm. enough. I won't get into that one, but this is a very interesting element, the orange aliens who make you feel very happy in their presence. But this is a gray alien, and she was abducted and taken to a hangar. And she That's claimed, right. yeah, and she claimed that in the hangar there were all these military guys in different uniforms, military uniforms, observing this demonstration. And the demonstration was a demonstration by the alien of how he could control her. Oh, interesting. He was demonstrating mind control over her and saying to the military, and this is what we can t- teach you how to do. We can tell you how to do this. And 
remarkable thing to me was that even though she was uh, in this trance and she had to obey the alien, she still could, could, could have a dialogue with him. And she turned to him and said to him, What is your name? What should I call you? And he said, You can call me Mufti. <laughs> and the thing I think, I, I thought, Oh my God, that's the strangest thing to hear. Because Mufti is uh, a title, an exalted title of a, of a Muslim imam. Have you ever heard of the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem? No, no I haven't. The Grand and Mufti? M-U-F-T-I, Mufti. No, no, no. Well, I'm looking up right now. Grand Mufti. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, and you know, when we get into, into Islam, and we start talking about jinns and flying carpets. Right. And, and shapeshifters. So... My point about ufology and UFOs is they're not new. They did not arrive in 1947. In 1947, they wanted their presence known. And many people believe that the the Roswell crash may have been intentional, that they would just want to say, Splat. what are you going to do about it? Cover it up, apparently. What are you going to do with it? it. <laughs> you know what I think? I, I really believe that, that that Roswell may have been a Trojan horse. Really? That's, that a, that's an it, interesting take. How yeah. so? Well, look at how, how much our society has changed yeah, since 1947. Right? Right. Socially, industrially, scientifically... Morally, ethically, philosophically, it's like a whole other world. It is a whole other world. Uh, anybody who saw us today with the gadgetry we had would think we were from another planet in 1947. <laughs> You're not kidding, man. I, I recently yeah, got here's me the my galaxy. Here's my I recently got me the galaxy phone. If I would have gone back 100 years in time, I definitely would have been mistaken for an alien. But go ahead. Well, here's my Trojan horse theory. The aliens have been observing us for thousands of years. They know we are incredibly bright, incredibly curious. Yeah. We want to know everything, and uh, we behave a certain way. Okay? They behave another way. I believe they have more of an insectoid society. You know, like workers and uh, right. dr- drones and... Majors, like, let's talk about the ant society. You have the majors and the drones, and you have the queen. Right. And there's, there's a hierarchy. And everybody, everybody's worker, you know, uh, everybody's worker, except drones that can become mates. And then the majors enforce discipline on, on, the, on the workers. Now, for the production of UFO craft, they have to have an incredible industrial base, industrial technology, machinery, um, concepts that were were way far beyond ours in 1947. But knowing that we are really curious and brilliant creatures with this this higher this higher faculty that they don't have, because we have spirit, they don't have spirit. You know, they have intellect, they have intelligence. But we're alive in another way. They, and this is something that I feel personally from personal experience, having encountered them. They are intelligent. They are aware, but they're not 
alive as we understand life. And this is the great mystery to them, because what makes us alive is our souls. It's not the electrical activity in our brains. The life force, what the Chinese call the chi, or the Hindus call the prana, or the Nazis called the vril. You know, all of those things, right. same stuff. So you, you think these aliens are soulless beings that are in, in space? No, I think I think they're local yokels. I think there's a whole bunch. You see, that's another part of the debunking technique is to 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 imprint the idea that they come from other stars, right? And that and then it's like this false logic. Oh, if they come from other stars, it's impossible for them to be here because travel between the stars is impossible, so they could never get here. That's a fallacy. What if they're local yokels, as I always say? What if there's in parallel evolution of life, uh, some kind of life on every planet, where some died off, like Mars? I believe that Mars was a living, breathing, Earth-like planet until mm -hmm. it's a uh, cataclysm, and that uh, there may be life on Europa, you mentioned before, right. uh, all of that. Um, but let me let's see. Let me backtrack to um, the Trojan horse. So knowing that we're curious, knowing that we tinker, knowing that we know how to think, figure things out, uh, they deposit these two crafts and figure, oh, they're going to put it back together, and then they're going to want it. And when they want it, they're going to realize that they can't build it, and they're going to realize that why they can't build it. And when they realize why they can't build it, they're going to have to change. And what they're going to do is they're going to change their society to build these things. They're going to have to make their society like our society. They're going to have to regiment the workforce. They're going to have to have majors who discipline them and keep them in line. And they're going to work for the queen bee, whoever that is, whatever that is, you know. There is That's a, interesting. A, a very, and then you get into the worship of knowledge and the worship of intelligence for intelligence itself. That's a very evil thing. It is. Let me stop you right there, Robert. We have to take a, a quick commercial break. We're speaking to Robert Morningstar, one of the best guests that I've ever had on this show and one of my favorite guests I ever have on this show. You guys are listening into Inside the Jackal's Head. We're going to be right back with more with Robert Morningstar. Stick around after this quick commercial break. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. 
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. When you're ready to actually lose weight safely and steadily while being monitored by a physician, the weight loss clinic of Dr. Kim Jacobson is there for you. The family medicine practice was established by her father in 1956 and continues as a medical practice that now specializes in weight reduction. Dr. Kim Jacobson joined the practice 20 years ago as both a family medicine practitioner and weight loss specialist. The weight loss clinic utilizes a combination of appetite suppression medication and vitamins to produce great results, usually 3 to 4 pounds per week for most patients. Now you can change your lifestyle while still enjoying your own food, just less of it. They offer a choice of two, three, or four-week plans. So whether you just need to lose a few pounds or a lot, the Weight Loss Clinic of Dr. Kim Jacobson can help you. They're located at 5454 Northeast 4th Avenue in Miami, just two blocks west of 54th Street and Biscayne Boulevard. Call them at 305-751-0091. They'll be happy to answer any and all of your questions. That's 305-751-0091. Get started on a beautiful new body today with Dr. Kim Jacobson and the Weight Loss Clinic. If you're in the market for a luxury pre-owned vehicle, then stop by Prado Auto Sales located at 7300 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. Prado Auto Sales has been family-owned and operated for two generations, and they've been taking care of South Florida since 1964. They work with every major bank and also have in-house financing available, so everyone is approved. Receive a trip for two to a four-star resort with any vehicle purchase. Prado Auto Sales has over 150 vehicles in stock, so call them today at 888-719-5329. That's 888-719-5329 or online at PradoAutoSales.com. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban feller. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Everybody, we're back on Inside the Jackal Set here after a brief commercial break. We, of course, are joined by Robert Morningstar of UFO Digest 
Fame. And we've been talking about everything that has to do with ufology, the John F. Kennedy assassination, and pretty much uh, everything that interests a lot of the listeners on this show. Uh, Robert, welcome back. And let me ask you right off the bat here, you know, dealing with the conspiracy aspect of this thing for so long, uh, you know, there's a lot of old-timers who've been around for a very long time who are getting older in age, and it seems that it's become almost like one of those things where the younger generation doesn't really think, seem to be picking up on it as much as some of the older generation of folks. Uh, do you think it's going to get to a point where people are not going to care about the subject as much as they, they still do today? Well, I think the, the problem is that uh, for 35 years at least, the educational system has been dumbing down the American public, the American student, and not to be curious, not to ask questions, to uh, go along to get along. That's very bad. I, I, you know, I have a lot of these sayings that sound good, but they're really bad. Because, you know, when a situation is uh, bad, <laughs> unjust, unreasonable, criminal and you're afraid to speak, you're only going to perpetuate that criminality, you know, and go along to get along. Sometimes it's really important to rock the boat, you know. And, it, you know it just seems like it's kind of lost on a lot of the younger generation. Like, I talked to my nephews. No, they're and, oblivious. They're, they live in a state oblivious. of perpetual yeah. distraction, and they're, they're plugged in. They're plugged into uh, iPods, cell phones, texting, uh mm -hmm. Music, uh, hypnotic music, rap music which is very hypnotic and it's implanting really bad, uh, memes, very bad social memes in people's heads. You know, every, you know, people say, oh, mind control, nobody can control my mind, you know. <laughs> and then I say to people, oh, really? Have you ever had a day when you had a jingle going through your head and you couldn't stop thinking of the jingle or you couldn't stop the song? Well, friend, you were under mind control then. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to me quite too often. I, I <laughs> well, it's not a good to, thing. <laughs> you have to reflect on your own thinking. You know, I I have to stop because I have to. You have to stop and say, "Is the thought I'm thinking really my own?" Yeah. And when you talk, when I speak to people who are plugged into the general rap, to CNN, you know the the latest uh, the latest distraction because that's what news has become. It's to keep us from seeing what's really going on. You know, all this, um, the distractions of the last uh, couple of weeks um, in the United States have all served as a great distraction to all things, the incredible things that have been happening in Egypt and across mm -hmm. the Middle East. And all of a sudden today, whoa, we closed, you know, 22 embassies <laughs> or consulates uh, across the Middle East. And uh, it's going to be closed from now till August 10th. So, Hey, folks, what does that tell you? You know, we've all been waiting for the big one, right? I would say, hey, the big one might be now. If they've shut down for 10 days and they say it's the biggest thing they've ever experienced, uh, it could be just as big that Israel is about to whack Iran you know, and that the whole thing's going to blow up. Robert, I, what do you make? What do you make of the, the terror alert level being raised? I, you know, I always 
look at when stuff like that happens, and, and they talk about, oh, terrorists are going to do an attack, or they're planning something, or Al-Qaeda's doing this or, or that. I always take that with a grain of salt, because in all honesty, they knew about 9-11, supposedly, from all the reports. They knew about it. They did nothing. So when they tell us something's going to happen, and a lot of times nothing happens, to me that's almost like a form of conditioning for us to like, not worry when something is announced that is going to happen. It does happen. And they want you. They want you to worry and to be worried, so that you allow them more leeway, more encroachment right. of your rights, more limitations of your freedoms. We are in very desperate straits right now. I don't know if people realize it, but we are in the midst of a second American revolution. We are mm-hmm. suffering a subversion so deep and so vast uh, that it could take away all the rest of our freedoms. Obamacare is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes, it is. Obamacare is a structure for complete tyranny, domination of your life, from knowing every bit of your medical and personal history to the worst, the IRS having a direct electronic link to your bank account to be able Mm -hmm. to siphon money directly from your bank account with you with no recourse except the courts. Now, do you think they'll repeal Obamacare, or do you think that, that it's going to take effect and we're all going to be duped and duped? It depends on... To repeal it, we would have to have a Republican on uh, Congress and Senate in, in uh, 2014. But I think these uh, very brave men are doing the best they can. How could they have... How could anyone have signed a bill, approved a bill, that they were not allowed to read? And how stupid have Americans become where they can listen to a, a cackling hen like uh, Pelosi say such ridiculous things like, we have to pass it so we can read it. Right. But <laughs> what kind of a place we're living in and where people will accept such irrational statements as if they were legitimate? Can I talk about Snowden for a second? Yes, you know, they kind of uh, bury him. But... Snowden is not a criminal. Snowden is a person who was sworn to an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. To expose unconstitutional behavior is not a crime in any way whatsoever. The problem is that people have believed the propaganda that's been dumped on us since 9-11. Right. That declared has declared our continental United States, our homeland, to be a battleground against the war on terror. Okay? Now, here's the contradiction, and this is why we should not tolerate this anymore. They did that. They declared the United States a battleground in the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, right? So that they impose here the same rules that apply there, like, uh, you know, renditioning and... uh, surveillance uh, up the kazoo, as, as we say. But Obama shot himself in the foot, and I think people should sort of start to protest nationwide about the continuance of the surveillance and these uh, anti-terror tactics, you know, here. Uh, because Obama declared an end to the war on terror about two months ago. Right. So if the war on terror ended, the United States continental United States is not a battleground in the war on terror. Right. We want, I want back my rights. You know? Yeah, so why why the terror level going up? There's no war on terror. Uh, that's another question. 
Yeah, I, 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 I like to stimulate people to think. I plant seeds and, you know, ruminate, you know, on these you, ideas. You, you, said, you, said that, you said that we would need a Republican in, in White House, basically, and in Congress uh, to be able to appeal or, or repeal Obamacare. But well, no, the Congress... Most of them, no, if the most Congress, of them signed no. off on it, though, I mean, it, that's not really going to help much. I, and honestly, I think that both are in, are in on it. I think the puppeteers are running both shows, to be honest with you, Robert. I was saying to somebody, it seems to all of us, it's pretty obvious, with a, with few exceptions, very few exceptions, as people get elected to Congress from both parties, mm-hmm. uh, they arrive in Washington, and I don't know if you know this, but when a new congressman, new senator arrives in Washington, he's got three days of orientation that he must attend. During this period, his uh, mind is massaged, and he is uh, enlightened as to the way things really work there, and it, it appears to me that they are made aware that there is a third entity operant in Washington, and that if they want to succeed, that they will cooperate with that third entity, whether they will be one-term senators or one-term congressmen. And a lot of them go along to get along and to right. keep elected. So it is a, it's a very weird politics in Washington. It seems to turn them all. Some people believe... Uh, some people believe that each president is taken into a room and shown the real film of the of the John F. Kennedy assassination, not the Zapruder film that's been doctored up for right. come, you know. But uh, but we all we all have to look out for each other. We have to get back to this sense of citizen, American without a hyphen, and um, taking care of things locally. Mm. You know, I say. I don't want Obamacare. The government ain't my mammy, ain't my pappy, right? <laughs> I don't want it telling me what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what not to drink, how much I can take. Look at Bloomberg. They, see, we're, this is communism. Let me, just, let me just not mince any more words. We are under subversion by a communist ideology that's dressed itself up in many colors, rainbow colors, and uh, uh, pretty slogans, things that, that uh, sound good, but they're really just general high-level abstractions, which are words words that don't have a real concrete meaning, but mean uh, something different to every individual. And this is the problem. When you were talking about the Republicans being more... Uh, pro-UFO disclosure. I found that Republican rhetoric, as opposed to Democratic rhetoric, speaks in complete sentences, is logical, and succinct, and that the Democratic rhetoric uses too much metaphor, too much hyperbole, um, and uh, uses examples, metaphors, that while the metaphor may be or the uh, simile may be true within the simile itself. It is, it is not applicable to to the situation that's being discussed. People uh, ask a question, and no one gives you an answer to the question. A friend of mine said to me recently. He said, "You know what the problem is with Democrats? They don't want to answer the question because they all the they always want to be right." Right. So when you ask them a question, they'll go into something else and speak, give give a, 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 a little speech in which they will be right about that particular thing that they answered, 
So they will be correct, but they will not have answered your question. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Democrats could be give, could be confused as magicians in a lot of ways because that's really what a magician does is misdirection. They'll you know they'll show you one thing with one hand and then they do the trick with the other hand. Same thing as what Democrats do; they'll give you a little bit of truth and mixed in with a whole lot of lies. But the Republicans are also at fault of that. It is funny how the the, the media kind of plays up to that every time there's a, uh, a president, whether he's Republican or Democrat. Uh, the the media really plays up to the president itself, and you'll have both sides going at the president. And it almost feels like every every president we get now has to go through that scrutiny and. It gets demonized almost uh, as president. It happened to Bush. It happens happened to Obama. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't even think Obama or Bush or any of the presidents are really as bad because, like you just said, when you get to Washington, when you get to Congress, when you get to that position, you have to go with the plan, or if not, you're exed out of there. I mean, how many of these guys are afraid for their lives looking at what That's happened exactly to Kennedy, it. for example? That's exactly so. I believe so. That um, there is intimidation. Right. That happens there, and there. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to be the next Kennedy, Robert. Nobody wants to be the next John F. Kennedy. Uh, not I. <laughs> not you. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. I think it would be too dirty nowadays, and there's too much. See, in Dealey Plaza, they were able to control all the cameras for the most part. They put the, all the reporters on a truck, three, three or four cars back. They made sure that all the professional photographers were stuck in one place with no access. The only uh, really good photographers uh, who uh, were the local newspaper photographers and uh, Alkins, who was on, he got all, he wasn't on the bus. He was there on Dealey Plaza and was mm-hmm. able to shoot that famous Alkins photo that shows Oswald standing in the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository at the moment Kennedy's getting hit. Right. That alone exonerates yeah. them. Yeah? Completely, yeah. And then they make, they're, they're, they make go, the, go the debunking efforts to say it's Love Lady and so on and so forth, but it's clearly Oswald. And you know what tips it off? If you look at pictures of Oswald later in his arrest, he's got a shirt on and it's missing a button. Right. And so if you look at this at this photo that Alkin shot, when you enhance it, you see he's wearing the same, sh- same shirt. He's not wearing... The Billy Lovelady shirt. No, not only that. There's also that photo of him holding the gun, which has been proven to be a doctored image as well. Which oh yes, yeah. you know what that is? That's probably a picture, most likely a picture of Officer Tippett from the chin really? down. And uh, yeah, there's a very weird characteristic in that photo. Not only are all the angles and shadows, the shadows and the sunlight wrong, you know, the subliminally that picture was designed to impart upon us a uh, suspicion that uh, that uh, Oswald was a Nazi. Right. The photograph, the, the head that they put on the body was taken at a different time of day and it shows a very strong black shadow under his nose that makes it look like a Hitler mustache. Robert, let me stop you right there real quick. I, I, we have a caller who just joined us. Uh, 305, you're on the air with Robert Morningstar. Uh, real quick, uh, you have a question for our guest? Yeah, um, actually, how you doing, Jack? This is Nicky. Um, I'm a follower of you. Um, uh, also, somebody. I beg to differ difference on what he's saying. Okay. Like, I believe it's all conspiracy theory. Like, like you were saying, it's a puppet thing. The New World Order, the international bankers. Mm-hmm. The Republicans and uh, Democrats, they all get along. But once they're in office, 
they have a plan that they're going to go by or not. Like you said, they will be killed. You know, right. like, nobody, nobody wants to be the next Kennedy and get killed over. Exactly, so they have to go truth. along yeah. with the plan. Just like the martial law, that's for like to de- depopulate the the um, the Americans, you know, to have mm-hmm. control. Yeah. And also, they are they are sending um, signals like brainwaves, actually, and they have camps. Hmm. You know, I listen to a lot of blogs. Um, Alex Jones, uh, Jesse Ventura. There's a lot. You know, like even um, earlier when he was speaking about the aliens as well. I believe they are like thousands of years advanced of us, you know, with the crop circles. When yeah. you look up that, there's there's messages that's been the oof since Egypt time, since the pyramids that coincide with the crop circles. It's all like it's all like a geometry thing. Right. So yes, um they are I believe they are aliens just like we are aliens. If you're not from the United States, you're an, uh, an immigrant, an alien. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I had a conversation with my uh, sister-in-law a little while back, who's a very religious person, and I kind of blew her mind with one simple one simple question. I asked her, you believe in God, right? And she said, yes. And I go, do you understand that by the mere definition of what God is, he's an alien? And she had, she was dumbfounded by it. And I asked her, I was like, well, is God from Earth? No. Where does God live? Out in space somewhere, in, in the heavens somewhere, right? He's not from here. So by his mere definition, he's an alien, so God's an alien. We're aliens, and that blew her mind. Just that one statement that God Yeah, is we're alien. aliens to them just like they're aliens to us. Right. You know, and a, there is a way to break the time travel. You know, there's sciences. It's out there, you know, and well, let me take the headphones because it's messing me up. Because of the <laughs> delay time. Yeah, I was trying to listen in too. Um, but yeah, this, it's all like, even, okay, now jumping back to what we were talking about with Oswald and all them, that's all, it's, it's a conspiracy theory because there's no proof, actually, but there is proof, just like you're saying, the media, they want us to see what we want to see, what they want us to see. You know, like the Sandy Hook, on that new Batman movie, it shows a piece of Sandy Hook. Yeah. You know, there's... There's a lot yeah. of things in that. We haven't really heard much about Sandy Hook, what really happened. They've sealed the records. They've, uh, there's something very strange that uh, went down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, like was, the, that was a uh, very odd towers. situation. Yeah, that it's, was a very odd like situation. The towers, you know, the towers, you know, the inside job. Come on, the the owner of the building got insurance, like, what, a month or two prior to the, the building going down? <laughs> the building seven went down, you know, and it was a pure, you could see it was a, of the mo- the what's called like being demolished, you know, like yeah, it, it was a, it was orchestrated uh, demolition. In fact, demolition, you know, exactly. one of the one you know, of the first metal. look one of the first uh, major guests that I had on my show years ago was a gentleman by the name of Stephen Jacobson, who uh, wrote a book called Mind Control in America, and uh, part of our discussion was just about that nine eleven and how uh, the part of the mind control aspect that's been going on in this country at least for the last decade. Uh, after 9-11 has had to do with them, you know, with the media brainwashing people to believe in foreign terrorists and foreign affairs. Uh, and, and really, Al-Qaeda was an American-made institution. We made Al-Qaeda. That's just a reason to go over there just to make noise, to take off, to have a reason to make a terrorist, to put it as terrorists. Right. I, th- I think Al-Qaeda was created uh, and manufactured by America for... For the purpose of taking the fall on 9-11, I do think 9-11 was an inside job. Mickey, thank you for calling in, man. And do you have any other questions Definitely. for Robert before we let you go, bro? 
Um, actually, man, you got a good job and it's very good, man. I'm listening and I love it, man. Thank so you, that's something I'm still listening. No, definitely. Thank you, my friend. Uh, that's right. uh, Mickey from Miami 305. Uh, Robert, uh, you know, have you have you ever spoken to Stephen Jacobson and uh, and read his book uh, Mind Control in America? Or did no, I haven't spoken to Stephen Jacobson. I've read some of his work. Uh, the thing about Mind Control in America, my friend. It started the day John F. Kennedy was killed. I want to tell right. people about this. Before JFK's assassination, the press acted independently. Every newspaper man, every reporter was out for his paper, his company, and he was, he was a detective. You know, they worked very closely with the cops. They shared information. They wanted to get the scoop. They wanted to break the case. When the John F. Kennedy assassination happened, that was not allowed. Everything was filtered. They had the press pool, you know, pool reporting. That yes. was a new thing. Yeah. Pool reporting became entrenched, became established as the way to get information in, uh, in 1963, where we saw the Dallas press conferences in the Dallas Police Department, where even Jack Ruby was there on Friday night to correct the guy about uh, the, the correct uh, name of uh, Oswald's uh, fair play for Cuba. Mm -hmm. uh, remember that? Yes, so, yeah. so that pool reporting is the way, the first filter. There's the first filter that they were able uh, to get uh, on information by controlling one, controlling the location of reporters, if reporters are all concentrated in one place to receive information from on high, they're definitely not going to be running down the street looking for chips, uh, you know, concrete chips and uh, bullet bullet marks in 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 the uh, in the sidewalk, and they're not going to be chasing down uh, the people who who chase the guy who shot Tippett. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can control the information by controlling the reporter. If you force them to be in one place only to receive the filtered information, you've got half half the game is is one right there. You know, we, we live in a crazy world, Robert. Really, do. we're we're out of time. By the way, guys, it's it's, uh, it's been a pleasure having Robert back on here. Robert, I have to have you back on soon. I don't want to wait another year and a half uh, before you come Thank back you. on the show. I love having you on. You really are one of my favorite guests to have on the show, and it's been an honor again having you on the show. Well, I enjoy our conversations. It's very. It's very stimulating, and I hope uh, hope you and your audience enjoy it. Definitely, and I know they all did. Uh, guys, if you want to hear more of Robert Morningstar, please, Robert, give us all the information where they can find everything that you're working on. Well, right now, I guess uh, I've really been laying low. I've been uh, doing a lot of studies on the moon, but stay tuned to ufodigest.com for the latest on UFOs. I'm coming up soon. You know, this is the JFK assassination anniversary, so we're doing a lot of JFK stuff. I'm coming out with an article that's going to have a free book attached to it. This lady has written a book about who killed JFK, the conspiracy, the CIA, J, uh, the mafia, Johnson, etc., etc. But she poses a very interesting question that nobody has dared to pose before, and it is, did JFK deserve to die? So that's going to be the name of the uh, book review, and uh, there will be a PDF copy of this interesting book that this lady, Robin Haynes, has written. So stay tuned for that, and stay tuned for some stuff on, uh, a lot of stuff on the moon. I've been on the dark side of the moon for the last year, and I've discovered some remarkable things, including a bridge across craters on the moon. Wow. It's that really right there... 
that's the perfect spot to end the show, and we're going to sure. definitely have you on very soon, and we want to talk about that. Because we didn't really address the moon much tonight, but there is definitely a lot of stuff going on on the moon, which needs to be addressed. So, Robert, we will have you back on very, very soon, if that's cool with you. It's great with me. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night, Robert. And everybody, again, thank you so much for joining the show. I know we went a little bit over. Uh, We started a little bit late, but it was well worth it. And Robert Morningstar, again, one of the best guests on Inside the Jackal said, on the history of the show. And we will be back on next Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Please stick around for that. And uh, stick around with psn-radio.com. We'd love having you. Peace, everybody. Have a good night. Stay safe. Most importantly, stay safe.